Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Becky, and I am really honored to be able to introduce Clark. I have only met him briefly at the 2020 legislative seminar, which was probably the last time any of us did much of anything in person. But I work with him on the advocacy steering committee and have really come to appreciate the way he communicates and the skill that he brings to it and the personality that he brings to it. I'm sure most of you know Clark as ACB's Director of Advocacy and Legislative Affairs. And if you've been listening to any of the podcasts, you'll recognize the voice immediately. Clark has spent two years plus with ACB and prior to that did public policy work for National Industries for the Blind and also um, for Verizon. But the other side of Clark that you might not know yet is that he is a Paralympian and a world champion tandem cyclist. I grew up riding on a tandem bike, but I never got out of Waukegan, Illinois. But anyway, I'm really happy to have the opportunity to present to you Clark Lockpole. All right. Thank you so much, Becky. And hello, North Carolina Council of the Blind. As Becky said, I am Clark Rockfall, and I am ACB's, and I am your Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. Where, geez, Becky, where to begin? As you, I feel like I should just have Becky keep going. I, I was enjoying that a lot. So again, thank you, Becky. And thank you to the North Carolina Council for inviting me here to speak with you this evening. Uh, I hope the convention in this virtual environment is going well and everyone's having a great time. I look forward to when we can all be together in person and Belinda can buy coffee for all of us with her uh, door prize gift cards. There's a couple of things I'd like to talk about here tonight before I get into the nitty gritty ACB advocacy component of it. I just wanna share a little bit more on my background. I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland, a great little town on the water, possibly the best little town, if I do say so myself, home of the U.S. Naval Academy, the oldest state capitol building in continuous use in the United States, a very walkable and friendly town, as our executive director can tell you, who um, just got some time on a, a little vacation there as well. I have Lieber's congenital amaurosis, LCA, which is a degenerative retinal condition. So uh, ever since childhood, my vision has been slowly deteriorating over time. I'm sure there are others on here who can relate just running the full gambit from using small print and then moving to large print and using a magnifier and then using a more powerful you know, rather than handheld, a stand magnifier or a magnifier with a lighting component, moving on to a, a CCTV and video magnifiers, switching from regular contrast to white on black, high contrast, and then eventually moving more toward text to speech, audio books. Um, and now I am a, a JAWS user. I have learned Braille along, along the way, but if I'm going to be honest, I learned Braille so that I could keep playing cards with my grandma because that's one of our favorite things to do. 
as I went through the Maryland public school system, there were things that I could do on my own and there were things that I could not do on my own. But part of that was I didn't want to admit that there were things that I needed or that things that if I changed who I was, that might change how others perceived me. Uh, Once I graduated high school, I went to Towson University, which is where I graduated from with a bachelor's of science in economics and political science. One of the most impactful points and a real inflection point for me in my life, but also my journey through vision loss was making the decision to study abroad. And it was 2004 that I studied abroad to Australia, somewhere that I always wanted to go. What better time and place than uh, to do it while in college? One of the reasons that this was so impactful for me was it allowed me to shed that shell of the Clark that people knew, the Clark that I created. So when I was traveling to Australia and traveling there on my own, that is when I started using a cane. I still had a lot of usable vision for navigation, but the cane let everyone know that you know, if I stepped on their toes, it wasn't just because I was rude or if I bumped them, it wasn't that I didn't care that they were there. It's because I might not have seen them. So not only did it change how I perceived myself, but it changed how others perceived me as well. It also made folks, and maybe this is more just the Australian culture in general, Um, But I I feel like it would have had the same impact if I was able to get out of my own way and start using a cane here in the United States at college as well or university as well or wherever I was at that point in my life. But there were a lot of people who wanted to ensure that I had the greatest experience possible. It was in Australia while studying abroad that I met someone from the Australian Blind Cricket Team. Kind of like beat baseball. I still don't understand how it works. Um, I try to avoid things flying towards my head or hitting me in the face when I'm walking around. You know, the the cane only does so much for the things that are overhead. And here people are doing it for fun. So uh, I'll put that aside for now. But he's the one who told me about the U.S. Association of Blind Athletes. And when I got home from Australia... I looked into the sports that USABA offered. I had never heard of them before. I had never heard of the Paralympics before in 2004, 2005. But I was immediately drawn to judo, which was you know, a form of martial arts. I had done wrestling in high school. Um, I had used the visually impaired adaptations within the sport of wrestling for the touch start and remaining in contact at all times. I had done some martial arts in college. But for many of us, and as Becky knows, as the chair of the Environmental Access Committee and how closely she works with the Transportation Committee, getting to a specific judo dojo, which was 45 minutes away after a work day, can be daunting, much as it is daunting for you know, many of us to travel anywhere. It's never just straightforward as, oh, I'll get in the car and I'll get right over there. The other sport that drew my attention was cycling. Because I knew for cycling that 
I could train by putting a bike on a stationary trainer and just logging the miles and the hours in my house, in my basement. There was no travel involved, except when it came to racing. And at, at this point, Lance Armstrong was at the height of his powers. And we'll just leave that there. You know, national hero in treasure, seven world Tour de France titles. And that's what the really cool part about cycling is all of the cool places they got to race. It was like, wait a minute, Tour de France, Giro d'Italia, um, Vuelta España, you know, Italy, Spain, France, uh, not to mention everywhere else. It's like, oh, I, I could go there. I've never been to Italy before. I could go there. Yeah, Spain sounds lovely. So that's one of the things that really drew me towards cycling, knowing that I could train for it at home already having a love and a passion for travel and experiencing new places, new cultures. You know, even if I could not see the frescoes of the Sistine Chapel or the sculptures at the Pantheon, being in a building that's over 2,000, 3,000 years old, feeling the grooves worn into the marble floors, um, the different smells, how the sound echoes throughout the buildings. I could certainly still experience the history and experience the cultures. Uh, so that's what started me on my journey. I attended a, a USABA intro to cycling camp in 2006, began racing in 2007, made my first world's team in 2009, which Guess what? First road world championships were outside of Milan, Italy. So check that box. Also crashed out of my first world tandem road race. So plenty of uh, bumps and bruises. Fortunately, uh, no concussions along the way. But I've left some skin and received road rash in, in multiple countries and continents around the world. I'd say the highlight of my time on the National Paralympic Cycling Team, which I was competing internationally 2009 through 2015, qualifying for London and racing with the same pilot on my tandem 2007 through 2015, qualified for the London Paralympic Games, walking into the 80,000-seat Olympic and Paralympic Stadium, and my teammates pointing out that they spotted my parents and my sister in the front row of the upper deck and being able to hear them screaming down to us, basically stopping the march on in the Parade of Nations so that we could wave and salute them in the crowds. That's, you know, everyone says it in, uh, in sport. It's not the medals. It's not the accomplishments. It's the journey. It's the experience. I'd say that's probably the same in the accessibility work that we do at ACB. You know, it's accessibility is not a destination, but it's a journey. The medals are nice. I, I can't lie to you there. You know, winning a, a track world championship in 2009 in Manchester, England, being on the podium in 2011 in Denmark, as well as 2014 at the world championships in Aguas Caliente, Mexico for track cycling as well as road cycling. It felt really good to know that your hard work is paying off. It's not always a given that you have your best performance on the day that you need to have it. But in those instances, those fleeting moments, we did. And that's also some parallels to the advocacy work that we do. 
Uh, the ACB and our members work really hard to advance accessibility, uh, advance the rights of people with disabilities. And it's my privilege to help lead those efforts in my role as the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. So in this role, I oversee, help usher our legislative efforts in Washington, D.C. So bills being introduced and passed by the, the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, as well as our regulatory efforts that's being done at administrative level between uh, you know, the different governmental agencies and departments. I also work on our legal advocacy efforts within ACB and try to provide hope. Chris Bell might tell you otherwise, um, but I try to provide helpful guidance to our affiliates like uh, the North Carolina Council of the Blind when they are pursuing legal advocacy effort or when the national organization is pursuing legal advocacy efforts um, so that we know what we're getting ourselves into, we're putting our best foot forward and that we can achieve the, the best outcome possible. In the midst of doing this, I also work with our new advocacy and outreach specialist, Swatha Nanda Kumar, and Swatha joined ACB back in March. So when folks have questions and they're emailing advocacy at acb.org or giving a call to the national office, um, chances are you will be reaching out to either Swatha or me if it's an advocacy-related issue, you know, if it's seeking a, a resource or information about what's available through ACB or available in your local area, you'll likely speak with Debbie Brown or Sharon Lovering, and they'll be able to point you in the right direction. But if it's something they don't have the answer for, they'll likely connect you with either Swatha or me, and we'll try to get you the information that we can. I have a question here that I was asked to address dealing with ACB resolutions. Uh, we are in the midst of our resolution process. I'd like to say that we were uh, halfway done. A little bit different process from the previous years. So the resolutions committee has been holding open meetings. It was every Wednesday night, roughly every Wednesday night, that they started back in June as resolutions were coming in, being able to vet them and work with the authors of the resolutions on the language. Here in September, we've gone to Tuesday and Thursday evening community events. The last one was just held, what, two days ago. There was a board meeting at the end of August where the first batch of resolutions were voted on by the ACB Board of Directors. We understand that this is not an ideal situation, but it's a, it's a situation that allows us to address the resolutions brought to us by the membership and certainly next year, we hope and are planning to be back to having the full membership voting on the resolutions, as is the custom and the tradition of ACB. This last batch of resolutions will be uh, debated and voted on by the Board of Directors uh, this coming week. It's either Tuesday or Wednesday evening. Um, but once these resolutions are passed, then the ACB staff in working with the ACB leadership, as well as the board of directors, work to kind of rank the resolutions. It's a little bit arbitrary in the rankings. There are resolutions that are important. There are resolutions that are urgent. 
not all resolutions that are important are urgent and not all urgent resolutions are as important, right? There are some that are more time sensitive than others. So for example, one of the ones that we passed was dealing with commemorating the centennial for the American Foundation for the Blind, AFB. We handled that one quickly. It was passed by the board in August. They're a great partner. They've been doing a century of important work benefiting ACB and our members. But their centennial celebration was this past week. So that was one that was urgent, but not necessarily as important as the resolutions that will be voted on this coming week, dealing with the voting rights of people with disabilities or working with the Department of Justice in urging the Biden administration to codify regulations for website accessibility. Once all of the resolutions are passed, as we rank them, we'll also be identifying who is responsible for working on and moving the resolutions forward. So some might be referred to the committees within the Advocacy Steering Committee. Uh, So whether that's the Advocacy Services Committee, Environmental Access, Information Access, Special Education, the Rehab Issues Task Force, and the Transportation Committee. These are really our core advocacy committees with great leaders like Becky, again, like Chris Bell, who also serves on the board, as well as the Advocacy Services Committee, and many other ACB members from other affiliates, both state and special interest, throughout the nation. As we work on these resolutions, I believe there are are over 30 this year. Many of them will be long-term issues. Again, going back to voting rights and website accessibility. There are things that ACB can do, but we're not the captain of the ship, right? But we can apply pressure. um, We can activate our grassroots. You all in North Carolina, as well as our other affiliates, to contact your members of Congress for them to put pressure on the administration and the agencies and departments as well. There are others that are more internal to ACB, and those are items that can move forward. So there'll be some on the the committee structures, providing content in alternative formats or multiple languages. And those are ones that won't necessarily have a, a strong advocacy arm behind them, but it's still important as the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs that I'm working with Cindy Hollis, our Membership Services Coordinator, as well as President Dan Spoon and others to ensure that the resolutions are getting implemented. In our advocacy work, I hope that folks have seen the action alerts that we've been putting out here this year. And I guess to back up a little bit further, From our virtual leadership conference, we had our three legislative imperatives, one being the Disability Access to Transportation Act, another being the Medicare Demonstration of Coverage for Low Vision Devices Act, as well as the Exercise and Fitness for All Act. In addition to arranging Hill meetings with representatives and senators to push for the passage the support and passage of these pieces of legislation. We've been working with broad coalitions of disability and civil rights organizations at the national level. 
So take the Disability Access to Transportation Act, a bill that would create a pilot program to show the viability of paratransit providing an interim stop. So you wouldn't have to book separate rides to stop at an ATM or a bank or pick up a prescription, drop your child off at child care uh, and things like that. You know, if there's a stop that's a 10 minutes, you would just be able to have that one interim stop of your ride. Say you're going home from work, you leave work, you pick up your kid, and then you continue on home. Or you are leaving your house in the morning, you stop off at the bank or the post office, and then you continue on to work or school and start your day. Again, we all know how vital transportation is for us to remain active, independent, and engaged in our community, and this would help streamline the process. There are additional parts of the Disability Access to Transportation Act that would provide additional grant funding for transportation services in underserved areas, whether that's low income, rural, elderly, you name it. Those grants can be used to increase the transportation options. It would also require the Access Board to finally complete the Public Rights-of-Way Accessibility Guidelines. So there's a lot going on there. This bill was included in the House version of the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure package. Unfortunately, it was not included in the Senate version of this infrastructure package. So in August, we spoke with Swatha and I on the ACB Advocacy Update podcast uh, spoke with Sheila Styron, our transportation committee chair, and put out a call to action encouraging folks to contact their members of Congress and their senators to support the Disability Access to Transportation Act. Um, you know, you all did such a great job reaching out to folks at the leadership conference. We just want you to you know, reconnect with them and ensure that they know that this is still a priority so that when the House and Senate go to conference and reconcile the House and Senate versions, the differing versions of the bill, that the Disability Access to Transportation Act or data from the House version of the infrastructure package makes the final cut. Next, we'll go to the low vision bill, the Medicare demonstration of coverage of low vision devices bill. Something interesting has happened this year. The bill that ACB has been supporting since 2013 would create a five-year pilot program for Medicare coverage of low vision devices and was valued at $12.5 million, million with an M. You probably just heard me mention that the infrastructure bill was $1.2 trillion with a T. So... In addition to the infrastructure bill, the Democrats, which you know uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris are Democrats, so Democrats have control of the White House and the administration. They have a majority in the House, and the Senate is a 50-50 split between Democrats and Republicans, but when there's a tie, Vice President Harris casts the tie-breaking vote. So in reality, Democrats have control of the House, Senate, and the administration. As a result, they are looking to use a process called budget reconciliation 
to move a lot of the president's priorities forward. Things that they would not be able to get bipartisan support for. And this package is potentially listed at $3.5 trillion, trillion with a T. This also provides the opportunity in the minds of the House and Senate Democrats to provide an expansion to Medicare, an expansion far beyond a five-year pilot program for low vision coverage. So ACB has been working with the Independence Through Enhancement of Medicare and Medicaid, or ITEM Coalition, which is a, a leader in this space. And we've been working with them for you know, over two years now on low vision issues. But there's the thought that there's a real possibility to not only enhance low vision coverage, but get a, a vision benefit through Medicare as well, which is in the Medicare statute, excluded. Medicare, you know, unless it's a you know, corneal transplant, they won't cover anything with a lens. No glasses, no contacts, no eye exams. So if we're able to, in the budget reconciliation package, include language from the Medicare Vision Act, this would not only provide a vision benefit through Medicare, but it would also open the door for low vision coverage by allowing the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, to assess low vision devices and approve devices for coverage. So it's, it's something that we are, we're very excited about. We conducted a podcast with the Director of Government Affairs from the ITEM Coalition, Many of our affiliates in ACB, over 80 organizations, signed on to a letter that was sent to House and Senate leaders supporting the inclusion of the Medicare Vision Act in the House and Senate Budget Reconciliation Bill. There is language in the House bill that has come out in the last couple of weeks that provides a vision benefit for eye exams and you know, glasses, contacts, routine eyewear with a lens, but it does not open the door to low vision coverage like we hoped. So we are looking at the Senate and the Senate Finance Committee, and we're also going to be putting out another call to action encouraging folks to contact your members of Congress in the House, as well as your two senators, urging them to support the inclusion of the Medicare Vision Act, H.R. 4187, in the Budget Reconciliation Bill so that we can move this issue forward and so that folks with low vision, folks like Young Clark, don't have to pretend like they can see more than they can um, they can have the tools and resources available to them to be engaged and active members of their community, whether that's as a student or a student of any age. You know, we, we want folks to be able to age in place. We want folks to be independent. We want folks to be able to join us next year in person at our ACB events and be comfortable and confident and have the tools and resources to do that. Our last imperative, the Exercise and Fitness for All Act, 
This is one near and dear to my heart as a Paralympic athlete and a Paralympian. That has to do with making, just like it sounds, exercise and fitness equipment accessible. Um, So there are international standards. However, there are no regulatory standards or guidance. No one questions that a gym or fitness facility has to make their premises accessible. You know, you need to be able to get to the door, in the door, navigate the physical landscape, the workout floor, as well as the, you know, the locker room. But once you're there and once you want to use the equipment, I mean, how many of us have gone to a hotel fitness center or a gym and realized that we're dealing with a flat panel display? We can't tell what button starts the machine, what button stops the machine, how we increase the speed, how we change the incline, um, how we increase the resistance or the tension. And it is less common that there are folks around to assist with this equipment. So this bill would require the U.S. Access Board to provide guidance and work with the Department of Justice to promulgate regulations for the accessibility of exercise and fitness equipment, as well as have inclusive and accessible uh, class instruction and content. This is another one that we put out an uh, additional call to action. The bill was finally introduced towards the end of July. I believe it was the week of the ADA anniversary in both the House and the Senate. So please, if you are like me and you, you want to be able to get up and get moving, if you want to be able to join ACB's health and wellness campaign and take back your health and be more independent and age in place, but you need, like we talked about with the low vision devices, you need access to the right tools and resources to be able to do it. Please call your members of Congress in the House and the Senate and urge them to support the Exercise and Fitness for All Act. I was asked to save some fun stuff and some pretty cool stuff here for the end. I'll start with this Exercise and Fitness theme. ACB had a great announcement earlier this week about not necessarily the bill, the legislation is moving forward, but that we're making headway with industry. You know, we raise our voices and industry hears, the companies hear that consumers want this. But if we're going to a gym, you know, the manufacturers aren't necessarily listening to the individual consumers. They're listening to the folks who are buying in bulk, right? They're listening to the big gym and hotels, the big purchasers of their equipment. Well, ACB is part of the Coalition for Inclusive Fitness, which includes ACB, the National Council on Independent Living, the Paralyzed Veterans of America, and Mobility Fitness. We had a joint statement with Planet Fitness, one of the largest fitness providers, definitely in the United States, that they will make the purchase and installation of accessible equipment a priority. Much like when a law does get passed and then uh, regulations need to be written and implemented, this doesn't mean overnight your local Planet Fitness will have uh, a treadmill that talks to you or exercise bikes with a tactile user interface. But what this does is it shows the manufacturers of that equipment 
that a very large industry partner, this is a priority for them. They will prioritize the purchase of this equipment once it becomes available. Um, so we, we are very excited about this step. Uh, we think that this will help us in our advocacy efforts with the other large facility providers and that the manufacturers will take note. We had some success last year with Peloton making their bike and Bike Plus accessible. We are working directly with other manufacturers who understand the need that is out there. But this is just another avenue for us to collaborate and help move this issue forward. We also had announcements this week regarding a little startup called Discord. Discord is an online communication service, uh, whether it's text communications, audio communications, or video communications. And ACB and Discord are partnering to increase their digital access and inclusion. This would not be possible if not for ACB's work more than 10 years ago now to pass the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act, or the CVAA. We talk a lot about the CVAA in terms of audio description. I know that thanks to the work of ACB and the Bay State Council of the Blind, I've begun enjoying the audio description available on HBO Max. I encourage other folks to check that out as well. But it, as audio description has proliferated, and as we, we talk about audio description, another important part of the CVAA are the accessibility requirements for advanced communication services, you know, the real-time and near-real-time text and audio communications. And that's how we began this relationship with Discord. It's taken them a little while, but we're excited that they are working to improve the accessibility and usability of their platform. The great thing about working with Discord is not only do they have standalone mobile apps and websites, but their service is embedded as the communications provider in a lot of other services, whether that's uh, video games, audio, publishing platforms. Um, they're one of those kind of ubiquitous services that other companies contract with. So we're excited to see where this goes. And if folks do have accessibility issues with the Discord service, please let us know by emailing advocacy at acb.org. And then finally, voting, voting, voting. Voting is an issue that we have tried to address every which way, whether it's through administrative channels and regulations, working directly with the Election Assistance Commission, the National Institutes on Science and Technology, at least I think that's what NIST stands for, as well as legislatively. This year, ACB was one of the only disability rights organizations to oppose the HR1 and S1, the For the People Act, because it would have removed the accessible absentee voting gains that our affiliates and our members had made in states such as West Virginia and Massachusetts, Maine, Delaware, and North Carolina last year. There's a, a lot of hesitancy out there about allowing folks to return their absentee ballot electronically, never mind the fact that the uniform military and overseas voters have been doing this for over 10 years now. Folks 
scream bloody murder and and wave the cybersecurity flag when there's talk about making this same system and same technology available to voters who cannot read, handle, mark, or use a printed paper ballot. I just want to close out here by talking about not only have we addressed this issue through regulation and worked on legislation, but many ACB affiliates have dealt with this issue on the local and state level through legal advocacy. And there have been great gains that have been made. Really a watershed moment was earlier this year with the court ruling that the North Carolina Council of the Blind received in their litigation against the state. This has really opened the eyes of the, especially the civil rights and disability rights community about what's possible. It will be refocusing our advocacy efforts as we look toward other states that allow electronic return for some voters, but not voters with disabilities. And that's one of the really amazing things in my mind about the work that ACB does. Now, we've made a lot of great gains in a very short time in my two years with ACB. But I'd say there's none that I'm more proud of than our work over the past couple years and certainly during the pandemic to increase accessible voting in voting access for our members and people with disabilities. And I just want to close by saying thank you to the North Carolina Council of the Blind for your efforts, your dogged advocacy initiative to expand voting access in your state. So thank you for letting me join you here this evening. And Becky, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to answer any questions. We have uh, Chris Bell has his hand raised. You can go ahead and speak, Chris. Good evening, Clark. Hi, Chris. Um, Thanks so much for coming to our convention. You know, anybody that listens to you ought to recognize the incredible uh, amount of work and the scope of the work that you not only do, but have to be aware of and be able to talk about. And certainly I think we're all thankful for all of your efforts. Uh, I don't know what your work week is like, but I'm sure it's not 40 hours. So I, I think it's, it's terrific. So I, I'm going to uh, demonstrate some ignorance here. And um, the Medicare enhancements that you referenced, um, am I correct in assuming that they're not going to apply to uh, Medicaid recipients unless they're dual Medicare Medicaid folks? I don't want to give you an incorrect answer on that, Chris. So I, I would like to follow up with you on that. That is a, the intricacies of Medicare and Medicaid is not something that I fully grasp. So I would like to dig into that and get back to you. No, that's fine. And, and just to explain to, to people in the audience, I mean, Medicare is the health insurance that you get if you're uh, over 65 retired or, or on social security disability income. But if you're poor and have few assets, uh, you're not eligible for Medicare if you haven't worked at quarters for Social Security Disability. 
um, then you're stuck with Medicaid. And Medicaid is what pays for um, most people in nursing homes. So there, there are lots of issues there. And that's why I asked the question. But but thank you, Clark. And I'm sure you'll have more important things to do than, than get back to me on this. But I thank you for all you do. I really do. Thanks again for coming. Thank you, Chris. And thanks for your advocacy efforts and uh, the input that you provide. Okay, we have a hand raised from area code 919, ending in 390. You may talk. Hi, this is Vicki Greensboro Council. I am glad that you mentioned, mentioned the exercise component because I do belong to Planet Fitness and I've had issues with them in the past. And I've told them that I would call my council people because I'm in the council. I also threatened them with ADA. So I have had issues with them. So I'm glad there has mm. been an agreement with them. Well, thank you for sharing that, Vicki. Um, again, this we are happy that they are receptive to working with the national level organizations. And I would love to be able to bring, you know, your experiences to their folks at the national level. Um, so for anyone that has advocacy-related issues, you can send us an email at advocacy at acb.org. Or you can give us a call at the Alexandria National Office, and that number is 202-467-5081. And again, that's 202-467-5081. All right. And next... We have area code 919 ending in the numbers 532. You should be able to talk. This is Donna Rain. I'm the president of the Durham chapter of the blind. Um, Clark, I don't know if you remember me or not, but you and I talked a little bit about two years ago about pedestrian crosswalk safety and sidewalk safety for the blind and the visually mm -hmm. impaired. Um, this is a question that I have to ask, I'd like to ask you today. The American Council of the Blind, have they, or are they going to maybe negotiate with the manufacturers of devices and equipment for the blind individually impaired where some of those high prices can come down a little bit that we may afford not having to mortgage a house or car or a bank loan? to buy some of those devices and product equipment? That's a great question, Donald. So we certainly do work with our partners um, to try to provide discounts to our members for their products and services. But this is also why uh, we are working to try to get insurance coverage for low vision devices um, and uh, assistive technology devices. Uh, because we realize that upfront cost is a major barrier, right? There's some legislation out there that would provide a tax credit. So once you pay out of pocket, you'd be able to get that money back once you file your taxes, but you still have to come up with the money out of pocket. So it's, it's certainly better than nothing, but we think that it, an even better solution 
would to have the insurance provider cover the cost of these products or services so that you know whether it's folks in Durham, folks in Asheville, Greensboro, wherever that they don't have to come up with these you know hundreds or thousands of dollars out of pocket to be able to get access to the assistive technology or low vision or mobility devices to improve their quality of life. All right, we have no hands raised at this time. Well, this is Becky again. Thank you so much, Clark. I will tell you, I'm, my husband and I are looking for an accessible home use exercise bike. And uh, home use, there's lots of them. Accessible, not so much. But we're still looking. At any rate, <laughs> I really appreciate you taking your Saturday evening and spending an hour but with us. I heard a rumor that you may have set the record for the most Zoom meetings in a given week. Um, and that would not surprise me. But we really appreciate you taking the time to join us and certainly the work you do. And uh, hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Well, thanks, Becky. And if it was if it was up to me, I, I would take all of the Zoom meetings and more if I got to do them remotely from, you know, the Outer Banks of North Carolina or some of the beautiful I places know, I, that you all have. I saw that in your bio. And I live in Charlotte, but I've never been to the Outer Banks. There's something missing from my life. I realize that. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you can go ahead and ask your question. Thanks. Um, sorry to be a little late to the party, but Clark, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to listen to you and to see all the advocacy work that you do. And I want you to know that the things that you ask us as affiliates and members of ACB and members of affiliates to do are a pleasure so I hope you're getting some feedback about people who participate, people who take action and do contact their senators and representatives on issues like this. Even if we hit a brick wall, you know, it's still incumbent upon us to act. I would love to hear what happened, if you can share it, with the Paralympian who was uh, denied services or denied accommodations um, mm-hmm. at the Paralympics, and our hearts all went out. To that was it, a yeah. young woman. Yes, yeah. sure. So, thank you, Joe. Um, so, Joe is referencing a multi-time Paralympian and Paralympic champion swimmer from the great state of Maryland, named Becca Myers who is uh, deafblind, and she declined her spot to compete at the Tokyo Paralympic Games. And the, the reason stated in news reports, and I, I'm just couching like that because this is, this is what we read in the media, right? Um, was that her request for having, whether as a personal care assistant or a support service provider was declined. We don't know if that was declined. There are conflicting reports about whether that was declined by Team USA, US Paralympics, whether it was the International Paralympic Committee or the Tokyo Organizing Committee. But what we do know is that our members were outraged and ACB 
was outraged that somebody can work so hard and then an accessibility barrier can prevent them from competing at the pinnacle of their sport on the you know the greatest stage in the world so we we sent a a very direct letter to the US Olympic and Paralympic Committee ACB executive director Eric Bridges and I had a conversation with the general counsel of the Olympic and Paralympic Committee it was a, a Saturday evening US East Coast time it was in the morning Monday morning Tokyo time during the Olympics and we let them know that this is you know this is not a a one and done thing that this issue will not will not be going away and that this isn't the only area that we have concerns about their practices and procedures so since then our executive director has had a conversation with the director of diversity equity and inclusion for I'll just use the acronym the USOPC the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee and ACB will be part of a working group to provide guidance to the USOPC in working with their Paralympic Advisory Committee in addition to working directly sending the letter and speaking directly with the USOPC it was very heartwarming to hear and receive the outreach from our partners especially our our corporate partners many of which have relationships with the USOPC as well so being able to share with them our concerns them being able to use their channels to provide emphasis to our concerns and i believe it's uh beginning early next month that our executive director will begin meeting with the Paralympic Advisory Committee in this working group um to i i will say create policies because i'm not convinced that the USOPC has policies in place for the provision of personal care attendance or support service providers so th- this will be an ongoing area of focus and ACB's sight and sound impaired SASI committee has submitted a resolution to the ACB board of directors that will be discussed and voted on next week addressing this concern as well. All right, at this moment there are no more hands and Becky, I'm sorry if I cut you off there a little quickly. I didn't mean to do that before. No problem. It's a Zoom thing. Um <laughs> so that is advocacy at work. And even when sometimes we get an immediate response, most times we don't, but we don't get any response if we don't act. So on that note, Clark, could you give us the dates for the uh, legislative seminar for 2022? We might actually be in person. It might actually be in person. There will definitely be a virtual component. The word hybrid is thrown around a lot, but we'll we'll have to see what happens. We are we are certainly planning on it being a hybrid, you know, both in person and virtual event and that is the second weekend of March. Um okay. so I believe that that's like March 11th to 14th, you know, I think Friday is the 11th, 12th, 13th, Monday is the 14th. Um it'll be split between a, a board meeting, the president's meeting, 
the legislative seminar and the meetings on Capitol Hill. And I, I know that many of our affiliates had tremendous success with their virtual meetings. It allowed us to engage more members in the advocacy process. So we certainly don't want to discourage that, but it will be great to have some face-to-face contact and build those relationships in person as well. Yes, it will. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Uh, does anybody else have any comment or there's no hands raised? Okay. Well, thank you again, Clark. And uh, I think that we are ready to give away the rest of our door prizes, Ms. Diva. Before I give away the last three door prizes and before we close out, I do have a question for everybody, but in particular those who are on the attendee side. So we have had a wonderful convention. I have enjoyed all of our speakers and I think it's you know been a lot of really good and entertaining information. But I've always wanted to ask at the end of events like this, for those of you who are in attendance, what would you like to see next year? We are planning on it being in person. We might entertain the hybrid aspect. I don't know. We haven't talked about that yet. But what would you like to see next year? Is there a topic that maybe we haven't covered in recent conventions that you would like to learn more about? Or is there a speaker that we've had the past few years that you have really enjoyed and would like to have again? Um, I mean, they've all been great. So it would be really hard to choose. But I'm just curious, um, just quickly, if anybody has anything off the top of your head that you think would be a great topic to cover in future years. It looks like uh, everybody's pretty excited about those door prizes. I guess we did pretty well because nobody seems to... uh... All right, but they can send their comments or suggestions to our NCCB mailbox, right? Yes. NC mailbox? What is it? It's it's nccbmailbox at gmail.com. So if you think of something... You can definitely email us and I will make sure it gets, Belinda or I will make sure it gets to the committee um, for the next year's convention. And that email address again is nccbmailbox at gmail.com. Joe has her hand raised. Oh, okay, Joe. I would like for us to focus on healthcare in the future. I know we've had speakers on products and use at home, et cetera. But I would like to see a healthcare provider, primary care physician, someone like that, to come and talk to us and someone who has worked with and for visually impaired patients, people who need primary care services, and what is being done to provide accessibility or um there's got to be somebody who's doing it, who's saying, okay, here's how you get to the place to get your COVID shot. And we have transportation for you, or we can come into your home and give you the vaccine if you can't get out. Okay. I definitely that's can look good, into that. Yep. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty good. I, I'm making a note. I was thinking about my endocrinologist. Well, Lauren's already planning. If there's nobody else that has anything, we will head to some door prizes. I don't see anybody. So, no, nobody. Our next door prize is a $10 gift card to Foodline. This, again, is from the Raleigh Wake chapter. 
And that goes to Becky. Becky, you get a $10 oh. food line gift card. All right. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Our next one. Um, so Chris decided to forfeit his pickle pack and put it back in the drawing. So let's see who our next pickle pack winner is. Sheila McNair. So Sheila, Lawrence, we'll get you your pickle pack. Um, <laughs> we I mean, that was a pretty exciting one. I'm not going to lie. But I also really like pickles. So, and our last, but certainly not least, door prize is a gift basket or a gift set from Coretta's Candy Company. It's valued at $70. It was donated wow. by Ron Brooks in Accessible Avenue. Um, I meant to give this away last night when he was with us, but I completely, it slipped my mind. So I do apologize for that. Mm-hmm. But um, this will be shipped to your home. And I can't remember what's in it. There are three different kinds of chocolates or delicacies. I don't really know um, that you will receive and it'll all be packaged appropriately so it doesn't melt and all that good stuff. Um, so what will happen is once I draw this name, um, I will give Ron your address and he will get Coretta's to send you the gift box. It is, they're based in Arizona. So the winner of the chocolate is Colby Garrison. Oh. Oh, so Colby, wow. you will be getting you some chocolate. Just remember, you can't share it with River. And we'll all be right over. Yep. We'll all um, be right over. As your host from Phoenix, I just will tell you that Soretta's makes some of the best candy in the world. So you guys are really getting a treat. Oh, now I am. It could have been me if I hadn't won the Food Lion gift card. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I have a happy camper too. Lacey? Yes, ma'am. I think we can probably keep this going a little longer um, as I would like to forfeit the Greensboro gift card. And hope okay. somebody closer to Greensboro would win that. All right. So Joe has forfeited her Jersey Mike's gift card. So that will now go to it's spinning, spinning. Kindle. So Kindle Gibbs, you will now have a Jersey Mike's <laughs> gift card. Oh, yeah. About them Raleigh people starting to win stuff. I don't, I don't get it. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> last year it was last year it was Alamance. This year it's it's there Wake County. What, what in the world? They they did give a lot of door prizes though. This is true. I, I mean, they I did. don't know what what Carter did at Starbucks, but yeah. Um, I think he helped <laughs> up at gunpoint. I'm not really sure. I, but. Yeah, not going there. <laughs> so I don't know what he did. that pretty much concludes our convention for 2021, and. Uh, I want to thank uh, our hosts, um, Cecily and Desi, and also Monica and uh, everybody else who hosted for us this week. And I'm blanking out on who was who was there this afternoon, and I feel really bad about that. Allison, um, Allison, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, and Rick and everybody at ACB Media um, and the streamers, we really appreciate you all getting it all out there for everybody and everybody who attended and donated door prizes and asked questions and participated. That's what a conference convention is all about. And uh, we're really happy to have had everybody here. I want to give one more shameless plug 
If you are listening and you would like to be part of our membership of the North Carolina Council of the Blind, you are more than welcome to go to our website and to register as a member. The dues overall are $11. That pays for your state dues and your national dues. So if you've already paid national dues, let me know and we will deduct that and you will pay less money. You're going to pay $6. That website is nccbinfo.org. So please check that out. And uh, yeah. we will be happy to have you as part of the North Carolina family. We welcome all y'all down here. <laughs> we sure enough do. I just love y'all, that accent. That's right. <laughs> y'all have a great weekend and uh, enjoy. Everybody be safe.